Welcome back to Marvel Cinematic Universe. I am your professor, Mario Rivera, and joining me is the marvelous doctoral student, Sly Clone MC, who has a bachelor's in the MCU, a master's in the multiverse, and is going for a dissertation in Marvel Studies. Today is a very special episode. And I, before we even get started, how are you doing? Just want to make sure that everything gets checked out. I am doing great. I am so excited to be here for you, with you, for this very special episode that's right it's extra credit I cannot wait normally we will not be talking about the mcu but i figure hey since new mcu movies are going to happen anyways why not have a little extra credit and sit down talk about our feelings the movie just came out this weekend uh, of course over uh, november 5th and uh we're here so let's let's actually get into it i know that you've been looking forward to it i have been had tempered expectations ever since seeing the trailers because i know nothing of these characters and uh i'm really excited to actually sit down and have this conversation with you so I'm ready to at least tell everyone. Yes, we're watching. We watch Eternals. That is, of course, the 21, 2001 Eternals movie. That is November sixth, directed by Chloe, uh, Chloe Zhao, and uh, is of course the next big MCU movie. Stars so many people. I'm not even gonna name them. We're gonna go by them individually later down the road. But uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I, this was one of the movies that I knew Lauren Rudolph was, who is a pretty well known actor in the deaf community like she's she's really well known uh at least in my circles mm-hmm. so i knew she was doing a marvel project and i was really excited about that and that was like part of the reason why i really dove deep into the mcu so i was excited for this movie just because having a deaf actor who's a woman of color as a superhero that's just so incredible and so I, I was really excited to see Lauren Rudolph specifically. And so going into this, I was like, this is one of the first Marvel movies that I saw sensing everything. And so I I read the like two most recent Eternals comics. So I, I kind of thought I had a feel for what, was, for what to expect. But wow, this movie was something else. Yes. Uh, I was also looking at uh, Lauren Rudolph's previous history, of course, was Connie on The Walking Dead and recently was in The Sound of Metal, which was one of the more Oscar nominated films. So definitely a movie that I actually wanted to really check out. So to have this be their first introduction for me, they they knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. And we'll get to that uh, a little bit later when we start talking spoilers. But uh, so this is extra credit. This is we're going off script here. I mean, how I'm going to let you lead this discussion. Where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about how you feel about the movie in general? Or do you want to talk about the characters? Because I know that you had sort of an idea. Yeah, I think, uh, at least for this first little bit, trying to keep it spoiler free mm-hmm. before we start talking about the story. So, like, general impressions. Yeah. I, you know, when, when reviews started coming out and critics were very down yes. on this movie, a lot of people, I feel like, were... Uh, getting scared that they weren't going to like this movie. And I think that's a really interesting point. When you look at like um, 
the Brie Larson speech from a couple years ago where she's talking about how there's not enough diversity in movie critics. So when a movie is targeted towards a different audience than the critics, it does really poorly critically. And I think this is one of the biggest examples of that. Of a movie, I'm not going to say this movie is perfect by any means, but it's a solid film. Yeah. It's a solid story. It's solid characterization. They did a really good job with this movie, and it wasn't targeted at the old white male audience. <laughs> and so, you know, it didn't do as well critically, but this past week, seeing the fan reaction has been something else. And um, I don't know if you want to talk about your like theater experiencing it. Sure. Yeah, I can um, do it. Um, well, the thing is, the theater was packed, which I was actually very surprised uh, because in the last several... And I'm, not, I'm not surprised because it's, you know, be, this movie would be divisive. I'm surprised because of the pandemic and how I've been able to see movies within the last year and how I've gotten decent seats even before uh, release day. So like Black Widow and with Shang-Chi, uh, Shang I actually got where I would normally sit, I had to sit in the front row. So I actually was the front row in a Dolby theater. And my experience wasn't bad because I actually kind of enjoy sitting close up to the movie because I want to get that full experience. This was, you know, this was probably the movie where I would probably prefer to be a little bit further back. And if I get a chance to go see it again, I would definitely want to see like the whole picture because there are certain scenes in this movie that I think that are too dark, um, even for my liking. And uh, to see the full picture, I would like to have been a little bit further back. But otherwise, yeah, the this, the place was packed. It was not a seat that you would be able to, you know access further up if you wanted seats there's like a few seats left in front of me and i personally found that to be kind of awesome uh there was people behind me that they didn't talk they weren't like the, the people that would like talk during the movie but i can hear them they're like oh, what did he say like but like but they were interested and they actually cared and when heel turns happen they were like, oh, my God. So I, I really loved kind of my semi-experience. Like, like I would be like, she's like, who's talking? I'm like, it's that one guy. Like, I wanted to be like, it's that one guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. like we were, like, having a communal experience. And actually, I haven't had that with any movies this year, and actually almost normally. So there was something interesting about this cast of characters that allowed it. Because I feel like, and we'll get more, I'll talk more about the movie now. The movie is, at its heart, um, a family film with all these people that feel familial and feel like they know each other so well that when you meet them, they're already, like, felt like they've known each other for forever, even though you meet them at the very beginning <laughs> uh, yeah. of their journey. And then you see them throughout time and you just see the connections and I, th I felt that watching the film and that's the stuff that drew me into it. And I will say, like, in terms of you bringing up, you know, the critics and how people perceive it, I feel like a lot of the thing also is that this is not a very traditional Marvel movie in any sense, where the scenes themselves are very gorgeous and luscious with real life sets and real life areas that they go and visit. And it looks different than most Marvel films. Is it like, like you said, is it the most perfect film? To me, and I'll, I mean, it's in the middle and when my ranking, but I still love those movies in the middle. They're still great films, and that's where I feel like this still shines. Like this is still a movie that I will want to revisit and see how the story of this permeates 
the future of what's to come in this next decade of, of, of Marvel stories. So yeah, there's a lot there that I really, really enjoy. And I can understand where the divisiveness comes in, but I feel like if you just go in, and honestly, if you look at the Metacritic right now, or if you look at any of the, the Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes has the score pretty low from critics, but it's almost hitting 80s to 90s right now with current audiences. And I feel like that's going to be your barometer. It's either you're going to really like it or you're really going to not like it. It's one or the other. But I do have a feeling that majority of people are going to see this and still take it in for what it is. Yeah. I am I was really interested to hear your theater experience because I had two very polarizing yes. theater experiences. That's right. You actually got to see it early. Yeah. I did get to see it early. So <laughs> the Tuesday before release, I got to attend an advanced screening with open captions hosted by Death May Out in Seattle. And that was Wow, what an experience. You had to go in, you had to check in, you had to turn in your phone to security. So like you couldn't like I didn't have my phone on me all night. It was it was a big deal. Um and so it was an audience that was almost all deaf. That I think there was maybe a couple critics and one family who (laughs) was hearing. But the rest of the audience was deaf. And so, you know, deaf people are very loud. I don't know if you know this about <laughs> us, but we are very vocal. And so the energy was just incredible. Um, there was, uh, because it was an event screening, uh, it wasn't like perfect. Like the caption timing was a little messed up on the movie. Um, but other than that, it was just like that audience was so incredible, surrounded uh, by other deaf people. And it was such a blast. And then I saw that movie and it was like 48 hours until anybody else I knew was going to see it. So I was just st- sitting, stewing my thoughts for like two days, yeah, just thinking about all the details. And then I already had tickets for opening night that I got like a month ago. So like way before I had the chance to go to the screening and I kept them and I went and the theater was not very full and really? the people were not very interested oh. and it was like the audience was so quiet and it was so different than my first viewing experience. And that was just so jarring. Cause like, this is the first time I was going to an opening night Marvel movie with like a, like audience. Right. And I was expecting that like electric crowd that I always hear people talking about. And I just didn't have (laughs) it. Um, but I'm so glad I saw it twice. I think I got so much more out of it the second time. The first time, um, I mentioned this on our, our regular podcast. Yeah, it's Point in Progress, the which first you time... find on our channel as well. <laughs> yeah, the first time I watched it, I was so focused on the story. I was, like, trying to click in my head, like, what are they taking from the comic story that I already know? What are they changing? I was so focused in on the story. And then the second time, I was so focused in, on the characters. I wanted to see those interactions, see the balance, um, and that that really improved my my viewing experience. Um, also, I, after watching the uh, the advanced screening, there was a person there from uh, I don't know who she was associated with, but was taking feedback about the movie. And so it was really cool after that movie to be able to just talk with a group of people about what our thoughts were, how we felt about it. And that was that was so much fun. Like we were talking about what we liked, what we didn't like, what we thought worked, what didn't. And um, 
and and that was just such a such a great experience that's but do you have any (laughs) yeah do you have any like final spoil three free thoughts you want to share uh well generally i will say that i think the characters all individually are really cool in their own little ways even if their powers are not necessarily the most interesting like for instance um who you see in the trailer um kingo played by uh camille nanjiani uh he has the ability to do finger guns (laughs) and i'm not exactly (laughs) sure the purpose of him just being able to do finger guns other than that would make him the archer of the group. Um, but his character as a person comes through in this uh, series as someone who's lived humanity and has been a part of humanity for so long, as well as having a human companion with him who, um, you know, I'm not going to spoil the joke that that was set up with that, but it was really funny and a fun setup for later. But uh, him and that section of the film brought so much levity and heart to the film that I felt like was very familiar to MCU stuff. So when he came in, it was very much like, ah, this is the MCU that I kind of remember, the quippiness, the jokes. And when he came in, I was very happy when uh, his introduction, which was also really funny. Um, and then, of course, there are other characters too that I sort of started appealing to. And um, I wanted to bring up one character specifically in this section because uh, if you don't know, please go watch... Uh, Train to Busan, which I'm an idiot. I should have watched it years ago, and I watched it now. <laughs> and my dong sick, yeah. uh, w- just a beast of a man. And he's a beast in that movie, and he's a awesome human beast in this one too. And uh, I want to be. I I just want to give him a hug. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, he plays Gilgamesh <laughs> uh, in the film. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters. But yeah, I would say overall, I think the characters are what makes this movie shine. The overall cosmicy, pl- oh, sorry, cosmicy plot of the movie, I can give or take. Um, but I do think that the actual story that they were telling, um, especially the one that you brought up and then we talked in the DMs about, which I hope we'll talk about in a second, I think that is definitely Absolutely. a big key to this. So that's all. I just want to say that I really enjoy the characters. I think if you love MCU for the characters, these are some fine additions to the, the canon. I hope you get to enjoy at least a few of them. So. Yeah, for sure. I think it was really interesting to see how they took these 10 characters, which have pretty like uh, tropey powers, right? And really dove into their their characterization. And that was a really interesting dichotomy to see that all of these characters are specific archetypes. So you kind of know what to expect from them. And then doing one little thing that just turns that on its head and just kind of changes your perception just a little bit where you're like, oh, wow, this makes a really interesting character. Yes. And I think they did that really well. Okay. With okay. that, I think this is your final warning. We're yeah. going to dive in. Full spoilers ahead. <laughs> spoilers, bro. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> go away if you don't want to know anything else. If it is, go see this movie, make your own opinion. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Yes, yes. 100%. Yes. Go see this movie. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, I want to talk about this story because I I watched this movie. I I was in the car for a couple hours driving home from Seattle. and And while I was thinking about it, I went, oh, shit. This was a love story. They tricked us into a love story. <laughs> and I had this realization, and I was just like, oh, wow. That makes me appreciate the story so much. Because they take this idea of a love story, 
in so many different ways of the term. You're not just talking about like a romantic love story. You see that there's, you know, you have um, like what, like three couples within the there's, whole it, yeah. Eternal. Yes. And I love some of them are both like it's definitely heavily affectionate. There's a couple that kisses, but then there's some that just, just by their dialogue and the way that they interact with each other, you're just like, there's something there. You guys are dating. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't care what you're I, saying. I think I know which ca- character pairing you're thinking There's of at least two of them where I'm like, there's no yeah. way you don't love each other. You know? Yeah. Everything I see is people shipping uh, <laughs> Makari and Drig. That's and one. I love that. I love them. Yeah, for That's sure. That's one for sure. I yeah. can see it. I can see it. Um, but you have like these rom- heavy romantic storylines with like um, Cersei and Icarus yes. for sure. And then you see it with like later with Gilgamesh and Athena and like you have these strong romantic stories but you also have this familial love between all of them right they've been here they've been the only constants in each other's lives for like thousands of years and this is like a family story it's Mm -hmm. about family it's also about like unrequited love like you see with like Sprite and her actions and like her feelings and i i mean that in both senses of unrequited love like her like appreciation for humans but could never live fully among them and then also her feelings for icarus right yeah and so you have that uh, that like perspective on love and then you there's i have notes somewhere that i have to find i'm gonna bring one up that i I don't know if you thought about and to me i found interesting is that druid himself has also a sort of like oh like in the same sense of you of this like upset that's not obsession but sort of this like overprotectiveness of just like he doesn't want he doesn't want them to kill each other and that's why he'd be like i have to stop them i have to be the one that protects them and the only way he could do that yes. is by mind controlling them and putting them in a place and that in some way could be a mis you know misguided sense of love that i think absolutely is brought up in this movie and that's why i think the funniest swerve in this whole movie is that the trailers made it seem like he was a bad guy because he has a power that seemingly can do terrible terrible things but at the end of the day, no, it's just because he has a passion for people just as much as the yeah, rest of them Yeah, he has do. this passion. He has this love of cultivating a community mm-hmm. and doesn't know what to do with himself about it. And the only thing he knows how to do is to control them. And so that's a really interesting take. Yes, um, yes, which the, I was very the other, happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one I wanted to talk about is the love for one's duty, mm-hmm. which you see through Icarus. Like his every all of his actions are motivated by his love for his purpose he feels so strongly about who he is who he what he was designed to do and what his purpose in life is that he physically can't go against that in any sense and he has this so such a strong passion and devotion for what he has been told is right that's unwavering and i thought that made such an interesting characterization for him and you see like all of these moments where he's betraying everything he thinks he is when he's trying to be with cersei and it doesn't it doesn't compute for him and i thought that was so interesting yeah no for sure icarus is definitely in 
Uh, I've actually have somewhat of an interest in the character victories, not the Marvel Cinematic one, but the actual mythological uh, character, which this is funnily uh, based on, including the yeah. very ending of this character, um, which I was happy that they did, uh, personally, because uh, I actually written a short fo- uh, film uh, about that character, but I took the modern sense of it, of a kid who is su- sort of suffering through something and is not finding mm-hmm. his identity and stuff like that. Um, so it's fun to see another interpretation of this character um, in the MCU. But this version, uh, yeah, very very much so like he's built up to be the superman he's built up to have the, the man on the mission but he is probably the most flawed out of all of them um but driven by Absolutely. his by his duty and i feel like that's what's so heartbreaking because it you can see it it's painting it's hurting him to do any of the things that he's doing even if he has to do some fucking terrible like he he is responsible for at least two of the eternal deaths as far as i'm concerned i know that one of them is you know being taken out but you all three. Yeah, theoretically. Oh, there's, there's Cause, three. Oh. Cause himself. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. That is true. He is, <laughs> he is in fact, he's in fact in control of that as well. Which to me is like, is that like, will that be the last to see of him? I mean, it is pretty definitive if you go straight into the sun. I don't know. I, I really hope they keep that because I thought that was such a powerful character choice. Sure. That he, you know, you see his love for Cersei makes him unable to fulfill what he feels is his duty mm-hmm. and he chooses that he's done. He doesn't want to continue this. Sure. And I thought that was so powerful that he was making that choice. Um, because that was just, I, I, I guess we're getting into like character motivations here now, but <laughs> I thought that was a really beautiful ending for him that he finally made a choice that was for him. And that, that was really I great. Agree. I don't want to see him come back. I thought that was, that would, tarnish the that's fair beautifulness of his ending that's true um, i do feel like hold on sorry i got a cough yeah. i do feel like they did write themselves a loophole of how to bring some of these characters back and that they're sort of Absolutely. manufactured um and their memories are stored somehow and we don't really know how that's happened so it's a high possibility we could see them come back uh but i 100 percent agree with you i think the way that you elegantly said that i think that is what should be the end of this character? However, Richard Mann, I'm sorry, you won't be in the MCU. Maybe you'll find something in the DCU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to circle back to story because I thought this, this story was really interesting. Uh, again, I read through the comics beforehand, and I wasn't a big fan of the stories in the comics. I thought they were uh, very bloated and overcomplicated and... Uh, not really digestible like there was a lot there and it wasn't enjoyable to read through for me at least and so when I was watching it this first time I was just thinking about like what did they keep what did they change I thought the way they portrayed the Unimind was really interesting and very different Yes, not um, a not a brain floating in the sky (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I liked that it was it was more focused on just having the the ten instead of you know the hundred that are in mm-hmm. the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really was interested by the the choices for which storylines what lined up with which characters. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this briefly, where Druig's usually the betrayer, right? Yeah. And he wasn't in this, and I love that. Another like switch up 
was not having Sprite be the movie star, having that be Kingo, and seeing that generationally, like playing different, yes. <laughs> different family members, right? And I think that gave Kingo's character so much more volume in that story. Mm-hmm. And Sprite's story had the same essence, but portrayed differently. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. And tra- tragic as well. Uh, just the way that oh, they're des- yeah. describing Absolutely it. Herbert. And especially with that scene they have with uh, Kingo and and Sprite are talking. And it's like, I was tired of moving every five years because you can't really explain why you uh, five, uh, you know, teenagers not aging. And I found that yeah. oh, so sad. <laughs> uh-huh. And then that scene you see later where where Kingo's like, I I got into movies because of you. Like that was my way of remembering you. Yeah. That 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 destroyed me. <laughs> that broke <hurt> my heart. <laughs> Cause it's true. You see the scene early on of of Sprite uh, Sprite telling the story in front of these um early civilization and yeah, you just see Kingo in the background just watching and just like taking it all so in. So fascinating. And then yeah. to see that transition later of, yes, he is now a Bollywood actor, uh, generational, <laughs> his father, his grandfather, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was, uh, yes. And then of course his valet who has been with him for about 50 years. And the joke of, uh, he thought it was a vampire. <laughs> okay. We need to talk about that line because that we- line plus the voice do you want to talk about that now? Because I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk about this now. Spoilers. There's, there's three things that I want to bring up in relation to that line. Yeah. So we get the vampire line, right? Yep. Yes, you do. And then we get Blade's voice at the end. Yes, right? we do. And then we have the upcoming um, uh, starts with the M. Oh, what? Midnight Suns? The, the no, game? No, no, no. The upcoming Mar- Marvel movie in like 2022. Oh, Moon Knight? No. Marvels? Morbius. Morbius. Morbius, yes. Morbius. Yeah, 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 yeah. And isn't that a vampire? A living vampire? Some some capacity (laughs) accounts. Okay, so we so we got Morbius, we got uh, Blade. You're going big brain with it, and I don't know if I can go with you there, because I I would love that, but I have no idea. Are we getting vampires in the MCU? But that's what I'm asking. Well, we're definitely getting vampires in the MCU. Again, Morbius, okay, Morbius is a whole other podcast. Because that trailer is mind-blowingly like, what is this? Where is it? Where is it from? Because you, we're tangent for Eternals. We'll get back to Eternals in a second. Um, you see, uh, he mentions uh, Venom at one point. So then, theoretically, he would be existing in the Venomverse, where, wherever he's from. But then you see a picture of Tobey Maguire with murderer written across, which means it's Tobey Maguire, but with the storyline of No Way Home or Far From Home where he's a mur- deemed a murderer, but then you see the logo, and then you see Oscorp, but that Oscorp logo is the same one from Amazing Spider-Man. Again, it doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't know what's going I don't, on, But we'll, hopefully we'll find out at the end of Spider-Man, and it'll make sense, but hope, I mean, that would be great. So, yes, the, the end trailer, the post-credits, just to get back to Eternals for a second, uh, is yeah. D- uh, Dane Whitman, who was played by Kit Harrington, who's a lovely boy, who looks like Andy Cortez from The Eyes Up. Uh, he... <laughs> <laughs> he's dating Cersei. He's only in the movie for like seven minutes, which is, I think is a tragedy because he's the few seconds that he's in, it's really funny. And then he's gone. Um, I yeah. love the part where he tries to jump over the thing. He's like, Nope, can't do it. <laughs> just walking. Perfect. Oh, so good. Uh, he's like, Oh, I got some history, blah, blah, blah. Then the ending happens. Post credits. Like I got to do this. He, he, he opens up a thing and it's revealed to be a blade, a sword of some sort. They mentioned it actually in the movie. Cause uh, Athena has, um, 
Excalibur. And then Sprite's like, uh-huh. is that the Ebony Blade? And I'm like, oh, cool. And then he's like, nope, it's there. Oh. <laughs> like, which, of course, is a blade that has some ties to Blade, the actual character. And then we hear a voice. And then I read an article from Chloe Zhao. I was like, yeah, that's Mahershala Ali. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Blade. We got Blade. Blade confirmed. Which means vampires exist. Uh, um, but the theory going on right now on the internet is Blade is recruiting people. And they're going to do a Midnight Suns thing in his movie. So it's going to be like the Black Knight, supposedly Moon Knight, and some other people will be in the Blade movie. Which, what? <laughs> An Excalibur? Like, it's going to be a uh, like medieval like vampire hunt? Oh, my God. Please. Please. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Vampires yeah. exist. Incredible. <laughs> Confirmed. As far as I'm concerned. I don't okay. know. Um, <laughs> Let's get back. I yeah. have one more... Yeah, I have one more story point I want to bring up. Yes. And then if you have any final story. I I was really excited by Marvel's dipping the toes into the waters of nonlinear storytelling. Like I, it's not a nonlinear story, but they have the little the little teases of it of playing around with the order of events, how it plays out, how you're introduced to the characters in a really interesting way. And I want so much more of mm-hmm. this from them. I want a nonlinear story from Marvel. I think that would be so interesting and they could do so much with it. Uh, you would need a very good director, <laughs> but th- th- I thought this was a really interesting diversion from the typical Marvel structure, right? It- yeah. It's gotten to the point where they're pretty formulaic, even if they're playing in different genres. Like so many Marvel movies are in completely different genres. And I love that. Uh, but they still have the same vibe. And this was such an interesting jump into the idea of nonlinear storytelling that I was just begging for more. I want so much more from this. Yeah, I think if they actually pushed it just a little bit further in terms of a, a different story that were, I would love it in the same way that the book Watchmen handles uh, sort of like nonlinear storytelling, where it's two stories being told parallel but they're intercut mm-hmm. and they're referencing things from each other. Like not referencing like as in physically, but like they're talking about the same thing, but they are in I like in imagery parallel, story parallel stories. Yes. Which I like yeah. how the the Black Freighter happens in the Watchmen story and it's very much a parallel of what's going on in Watchmen about this man's journey versus the story of Watchmen. And I would love for mm-hmm. another story like that, possibly, where at the end of the movie it all lines up and does you know something really interesting um in this Absolutely. sense i think the way you tell the story is probably gonna put some people off but i actually think it's probably the right way to do it because if i just sort of did a like modern day story with all these characters and just heard about the backstory of all these characters i don't think is, is interesting because it's it's all that um was it show and don't tell like that kind of deal like i wanted to see it and then mm-hmm. i'm glad that they did Absolutely. the scene that i'm like the one that i i think i enjoy the most even though it's the quickest one is the hiroshima thing uh is the hero se- section only because of how much that you see how much that devastates that character because earlier on in the movie you saw that he wanted to give them so much more so much early on he wanted to give them a steam engine to propel them to some states and we were like we can't we can't do that it will hurt the little brain so we have to give him a plow which i researched plow apparently was a massive change still like a massive thing for society to even develop and so 
the fact that they even got that amount from that little thing. I, I love how he wanted to just give them all the things that could help them grow, but he saw what it led to, and it led to them destroying each other in such a massive way, and him feeling the response and responsibility of the atomic bomb um, that hit hit you know hit China, uh, Japan. Uh, seeing that Wade and Ajax holding him, and like you know, people are gonna probably pick maybe that scene apart. I feel um, because of the forced imagery of it, but I still love the storytelling of it, what it means to the character. Um, that I feel like was necessary, and so yeah, there's definitely story beats there that I think are absolutely crucial, um, especially for the characters. Yeah, and that's that's what I've been seeing the most criticism of yeah. so far is the way they tell the story a lot of people are not vibing with it yeah. and that makes me really sad because if they get so much negative feedback on that we probably won't see it again but i think it was the best way to introduce these characters i because going in it's an ensemble film i was very nervous i only expected to care about a couple of these characters right you're introducing 10 brand new characters and i don't i they definitely didn't do it perfectly there's definitely some things you were missing for context with these characters. And I, while I'm sad about that, I can't complain too much because you only have so much time. And with 10 characters, 10 brand new characters, that's a lot of material to get through, right? And I think the way they used the different story beats to introduce those characters gave you an emotional background on these characters you understood how they thought and what their motivations were by being shown it and not being told like you yeah. said and so you get you meet like three characters in the past and then you meet them in the present and then you meet a couple more characters in the past and then the present and it goes on and on like that and that made me feel so much more connected to them the one thing that i really wish they said in the film is of course, we don't meet Makari until v pretty late in the yeah, story. That's going to be my biggest downs on those. Yeah. And I saw a post from Marvel's like official Instagram that had like the breakdown of all the characters and all their motivations, and it talked about like Makari. She's a speedster. She's explored every single inch of the Earth. Got bored. Is waiting to explore space. Right. And so she's waiting. She's waiting to go home, waiting to explore. But they never said that in the film. That wasn't pointed out. It was just in a an Instagram post from Marvel. Like that's the only place they put this information. And I feel like you, you like you missed out so much about her character by not including that in the film. Yeah. Like why why would you have this information and not give it to your audience? Yeah, I, I, I do find the later half of the film, when it comes to bringing in the characters, is probably what I th I feel is the weakest. I know that you said that you think that it allowed you to digest the characters more. And I think that's true. I think I think you can have it both ways. You can have it so that way you separate amount amount of characters so you get to know this section. And then in the later half, you get to know this section. But the lighter half of the section, I feel, is... Um, not as strong because you have to get to that third act. You have to fu you have to finish the movie, and you don't know those characters as well as you should have. You no, know, like Kingo, for instance, um, which is a character which, when he gets to his decision, which I think a lot of people are not going to like, 
is he chooses to abstain and just not be a part of the final battle. He just sleeps. He wasn't part of that final battle. Absolutely. Because he is conflicted and- between someone that he looks up to and is doing a movie about versus the other people yeah. that he believes that are right as well. And he just can't make this. So he leaves. He's just like, I just can't do it. I feel like that's what makes his decision strong. And as much as I want him to be there at the final battle, I understand it where he's coming from. For his character. Yeah. Right. And I like, I think the second act for me was the weakest. Yes. Because you had that strong opening act. You meet like a majority of the characters. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that, that second act, they're trying to simultaneously explain like what happened with Adrak and what, what's going on with these characters you haven't met yet. Mm-hmm. And I wish that was a little more balanced. I feel like it was too strongly what's going on with Icarus and Adrak and not enough. Let's meet the rest of these characters. And Fisto's too is so shortchanged in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ephesos, I think hit more for me because we, we saw that moment. We saw yes, true. the him trying to give them this idea. And then you see later what humanity does with technology and how that affects him. And then you see him being like, I, I can't do this. And so you had that connection, yeah. but you didn't get that with all the other characters. Like his time was much shorter, but I still really cared about him. No, I true. And as I, even at the end of the day, I, as much as I wish there was more there and I want more and I crave for more, that makes me more excited for sequels, obviously. Um, exactly. So wherever they end up going, I'm excited to still explore and visit those characters, whatever, you know, um, Makari is doing or whatever Festus is doing. And even Droog, who at first immediately, because like I said, I saw the trailers and I was like, I don't like you. And I know I'm not supposed to like you, so I'm <laughs> trying not to like you. But you have a swagger to you uh-huh. that I enjoy that's Scottish as well. And you have that black fucking jacket and you're kind of cool. And I'm, oh, fuck, I like you. Damn it. <laughs> it's like, that's what happens. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you're not the bad guy. God damn it. <laughs> it's like, I was trying to put you in a corner. I, right, right. Yeah. I, I fell in love with these characters so much. And obviously, I have so much love for all of them. But Makari, Fastos, and Drig are the dream team. I'm, I've been calling them <laughs> the dream team. I love them. I want the three of them together all the time. I just, the three of those characters just hit me so hard emotionally in seeing like the different aspects of them that I see in myself. And like, I just love those characters so much. Like those three are perfect and I want them together all the time. <laughs> so I'm looking right now. Cause I want to know like, where can I find this man? And where can I see more of his work? Uh, Drig is going to be in, of course the Batman. He's going to be an officer. And uh, he is in the movie Dunkirk, which I, <laughs> I was cleaning up my little thing here. And so I have a copy of it. I'm like, I haven't watched Dunkirk yet. So let's see what this is all about. So, yeah, we'll, we'll check that out. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, did you know that the, the director said that they <laughs> the reason she, like, casts people is from movies that Christopher Nolan <laughs> does? So <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> so he's in Dunkirk, and then also Harry Styles is in Dunkirk. And that's oh, that's why she go. she's like, oh, he looks, he'll be perfect for uh, <laughs> Star Fox. <laughs> so... Uh, which, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's gonna, we're going to have to digest that. Um, but yeah, uh, where else would you want to go? Do you want to go like character individually, like some other characters here? or? Yeah. Unless you have any final thoughts about the story. I think no. we should dive in into 
each character individually. Okay. Yeah. So let's kick it off with Cersei. What What are your thoughts on Cersei? Cersei is fun because her power is so adaptable to anything. But you'd first like it's funny when you have an individual person on this team. I like I said this in the other podcast. I feel like you, if they're not teamed up with her or someone else, you can absolutely lose in a fight. Like, don't get me wrong. Absolutely. However. She is definitely probably a very vulnerable character. And you see her vulnerable throughout the entire entirety of the film, except for two major instances where she comes together and makes things happen. And that, of course, is when she turns the deviant. We even talk about the bad guys, because let's be honest, they're probably the weakest oh, yeah. thing in the movie. But, <laughs> you know, uh, even though they have, because they're like, there's a moment of them being interesting, and then they cut that off uh, very quickly. Uh, where she turns it into yeah. a tree, and you see that, oh, man, she can actually be, you know, somewhat... Uh, the reason why I feel like Ajax eventually picks her as the leader and then her coming in and doing the, the beginning of the Unimine as well, being able to do that. Um, as a character, you see so much of the world through her eyes and she's definitely the main character of the film. You see the love of humanity through her as well. You see the love of obviously of, of actual love. You see that part of it. You see the familiar love of her um, crying over Ajax's body who, you know, is, you know, on the ground there. Um, and you see her sort of Sprite. Yeah. She's basically semi mother figure to Sprite during this time because everyone else seems seemingly abandoned Sprite. Um, what I also found interesting was she sort of becomes the mother role of taking over from, from Ajax in a way and having to guide, guide everyone and make, she makes the biggest decisions. And a lot of people look to her for guidance very much as, you know, as a teacher. Um, so I very much found that interesting. I'm very glad that Emma Chan had a second opportunity to be in the MCU. Luckily, if you're painted, right, right. If you're painted blue, you can come back with somebody else. <laughs> um, which, of course, them being robots, I was like, oh, yeah, you can totally get away with being the, another person in this universe. So maybe you're modeled after her somehow. I don't know how that would work. I'm glad they did not shy away from that. They, yeah. they were like, this is the perfect person for this character. And who cares? Who cares if we've seen her before? Yeah. It, it works. It's a, It feels completely different. There was no point that I was like, oh, that's... Not even... I didn't even know. think about it. Not it, even for a second. I didn't think about it until way after that I was like, oh, right. She's it made me want to watch them. Marvel. It made me want to watch Captain Marvel again. Just be like, oh, yeah, you were in that movie. <laughs> I, I love that movie. Um, I... Captain Marvel is my favorite Marvel movie. I, I don't know if I've said that anywhere before, but that was that was one of the first movies I watched when I started getting into the MCU, and it's the one that really made me fall in love with the MCU. So it holds such a special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, no, I 100% agree on everything you said. I think you covered all my thoughts on Cersei, like <laughs> the way she perceives the world and how how she leads the team and how her love of humanity is really one of the strongest things about her character. And I think that's really beautiful that she is very powerful. Um, we don't see the fullest extent of her power no. and, you know, there's definitely room for her to scale up in power. But the fact that her love is her biggest power, like you see that with, you know, her love of humanity, her love for Icarus. You see that so many times throughout the movie. And her character is really why I went, oh, this is a love story. <laughs> for so. sure. When she turned that bus into flowers, I was like, oh, that's awesome. So cool. That was so beautiful, right? Yes. yes. 
Okay. Mm. We've already we've already talked about Icarus quite a bit. Yeah, um, we 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 we, we established that. I th- no, I think we established okay. pretty much everything we have to say about Icarus. Icarus, you're 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 cool until you weren't, but then you're cool too. I don't know. I feel I I love I'm conflicted character. on you. <laughs> um, I yeah I I knew there was going to be a traitor as soon as I saw. Adriac was sad. I was like, oh, they're doing the storyline where the Prime Eternal dies. Somebody's betraying them, whatever. And so the whole whole first watch, I was looking for the clues to put together who's the traitor. And so when I realized that, I was like, oh, okay. I know where we're going with Icarus. So I really loved his character. My friend Marissa uh, did not see this coming at all and was <laughs> utterly betrayed by Icarus. I was heartbroken that he turned out to be the traitor and i'm just having so much fun watching all of her tiktoks um go follow miss abobosa on tiktok but all of her tiktoks about icarus and how utterly heartbroken she is about his character has been they're so funny they're it's it's been the highlight of my my weekend since this (laughs) movie came out that's awesome um yeah, I think that I think that's everything yeah. uh, for Icarus. Uh, Athena, want to go with Athena? Let's talk about Athena. Yeah. Wow. I my first time watching this movie, I didn't know how to feel about Athena. I was like, she has so much potential, and they nerfed her mm-hmm. so quickly. But on the second watch, I really appreciated her her journey, her yes. story arc. That she was this fierce, incredibly powerful warrior. You know, she's the goddess of Athens. She's this incredibly strong, powerful woman who has such a, a love for her duty as well. You see that in Babylon, I believe that yeah. she's not, she's not taking a break. Like it's her duty to go out and fight. And that's all she cares about. And then when you see her character start to break, when you start to see the, those memories coming back. Yeah. The mad weary is what ha- they refer to it. Yeah. Mad weary. Before we know what it actually her, is. Yeah. Yeah. Her memories of previous existences right and how uh, her character has like she had never felt vulnerable before that and the way that completely changed her as a person was so interesting to me no for sure um you know thinking about the character and watching it back and hearing other people talk about it uh the thing that i immediately thought about it was Someone who, uh, you know, it's like a painter or someone who has a mass amount of skill and then they have to start overcoming the fact that they're deteriorating because of a disease of some sort and they're losing like some sort of Alzheimer's or something like that. Like it had the, that to me very much written on it. Someone actually, I think it was the kind of funny group, uh, I think Nick said it, where she is sort of like a uh, failing hard drive where it is something that's been formatted so many times that eventually, you know, it's going to fragment and and, and mess itself up. And that felt so tragic on, in terms of her having to deal with that and eventually it may be take her over. But I, I, I love that she had a support system and a, a loved one who cared about her so much that he would stay with her for as long as he possibly could and for him to do that. And it, I love it's the two strongest uh, <laughs> heroes as well. Um, there's so I much that strength such there. such an interesting 
dynamic where they're both so incredibly powerful and they care about each other so much and then her redemption i think was one of the most powerful points in the cave uh uh, points in the movie where she's in the cave with the deviant Mm -hmm. and she gets that moment of redemption and she gets to be the strong powerful intuitive warrior that she is i thought that arc was just so beautiful yeah, no, definitely uh, as a character. And I, I was wondering what they were going to do with um, Angelina Jolie and where she was going to lead. Because I was like, were they going to keep? Are they going to keep her on in the MCU? Because they got rid of Selma Hayek pretty early on, and I was wondering if that was a, a, an obvious choice of just the fact that she's really high profile. They kind of want to get her in and get her out, and you know that'll be the end of it. And I was wondering if that was going to end up happening there, um, where Athena was going to die, and I'm glad that she doesn't. She does get her redemptive arc. The the deviant part, we'll talk about the deviants. I think at the very end because I think they are the weakest part yeah. of the film. But I'm glad that they gave her a story that I I enjoyed, especially with conjuring with. I think the next person that we should talk about is then Gilgamesh. Um, mm-hmm. My God, I love that man. <laughs> Bias alone oh, from God. from him. Just his introduction <laughs> um, to being this just man walking with these big ass arms, like I was like big guys doing right, and then, uh, but the fact that yeah, he his whole power is that he punches the living shit out of you, but he's so tender and caring for Athena and learns all these wonderful uh, crafts and techniques and food and fermenting uh, beer, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I want to eat his food so bad. <laughs> The way they played with his character, I think, was so interesting because you see a lot of the MCU are big, bulky men who are strong fighters and that's that's their personality, right? They're they're the strong man. They're the epitome of toxic masculinity in so many cases that we've already seen. And it was so refreshing to see this strong, powerful warrior who also had such a tender, caring side to him, where he wasn't afraid to, you know, have arts and crafts and be baking with his apron and then being like completely laughing off fright turning him into a baby <laughs> and i thought that was just so refreshing oh my God. and so like amazing to see his character you're so right because so many other movies that have just been like oh this is awful blah blah blah, blah. no he's just laughing about it like he's he, he knows so yeah he's part of the family here yeah. it's like it's like oh you ridiculous person you yeah no uh yellow mesh uh taken from us way too goddamn soon and i know that you know we have to kill off some of these characters uh, for there to be any stakes and sadly he was the one that had to be chosen um i you know i don't want any of them to I go wanna, i just didn't want him to go either <laughs> i want to talk about that point because it was really interesting to see a male character killed off to propel a female character story yes so often we see it in the reverse where we fridge the woman mm-hmm. and that's to propel the male story and it was so interesting to see that reversed and if you look at the 10 right mm-hmm. I, i'm pretty sure it's 10 brain and 10 brawn but it's also like or yeah. five and five sorry yeah but it's also evenly split gender wise right uh well i'm looking at the cast right now so again, well, let's see uh, I think it tends more female than male, if I had to be honest. One, two, right. three. But if we look at who they kill off, they killed off two men and one woman, right? And no, so you're right. Five, five. Is... There is five, five. 
Yeah. So I I was really excited to not mm-hmm. see, you know, coming off of like what if where we saw uh in the uh Doctor Strange yeah. the Dark Doctor Stranger episode where we saw Christine fridged a million times. And that was so exhausting and so tiring to come into this movie where they're like two men killed off. And like obviously they had to kill off um Ajax because that's the whole plot of the movie is yes. she said what are we gonna do which originally was a male um, character is uh, what mm-hmm. beautifully done you know what? i think this is a great point so L- many of these yeah are, that's correct are male characters that's correct makari as well sprite as well um sprite as well yeah, all, yeah like so many of these characters are men in the comics and having unusually portrayed white and in, honestly in the doesn't lose anything in terms of a that you yeah, Absolutely. doesn't lose anything. In fact, it makes it so much stronger. It does. <laughs> because you see these characters fit into completely different cultures so much more easily. Yes, 100%. I agree with that. Um, and so I think this is a great example of when you diversify your cast, it doesn't have to feel shoehorned. It felt so authentic that all of these characters looked different, sound different, seemed as if they're from different mm. points in time. And it just makes more sense of them being these alien beings that come to Earth and they're not just all blanket white men. Uh, it's the right? fact that, yes, <laughs> they're going to integrate in the world that we live they in. Need to this is the world. In yes. every different type of environment. Yeah. And you can't be all white men to do that. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I think that's a good jumping off point to go into Ajax then. I think we can talk about Ajax. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Salma Hayek uh, as a very young age boy. Uh, Incredible. And I'm so glad that uh, she is... You can go left and right when I think with Selma Hayek and characters. She can either be very bombastic and loud, or she can be stoic and and I think there's a f- I think she has a funness to her still, even if we see her very slightly. But at the same time, there's still a motherliness to her that just carries on through, uh, even to her end, in my opinion, like just her, uh, but her inevitable demise. Um, but yeah, no, I I. Uh, I love me some Selma Hayek, and I think that just for the small moments that we get with her, she added so much to the film, um, even all the way up she to the end. one of those characters that we saw so few moments with, but every single time she was on screen, she had such a strong presence. Yeah. And that's something that I think is so valuable. Like, she felt like the leader. She felt like the prime eternal. And even though we knew she was dead from very early on seeing those flashbacks seeing those mm-hmm. historical moments she held such a presence and just such a phenomenal job i i this is the one character that i'm heartbroken we're not yeah. gonna see more of and i knew that i knew we weren't gonna see more of her but she was just so good so I, good and never everything. thought i'd ask for more flashbacks but please give us more flashbacks right the, like i i wouldn't want more flashbacks pretty much ever but yes. i want more semi-hyac. and i think <laughs> there's a way you could do it with you know what's going on but yeah we'll, well, see. we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see um i did like sprite uh assuming her at the end there and i did not 
I'm a dum dum. I didn't think it was. I was like, oh, she's seeing uh, her, and I'm like, no, wait, I'm an um, idiot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, yeah. I I remember watching that, and I immediately went, like, oh, Sprite, no. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And I think that's a good transition to talking about Sprite. Let's talk about Sprite because okay, um, I I've been current. I'm currently rewatching 911, and this will relate. Give, let me get a moment to get there. Okay, so I'm rewatching 911 right now. And one of the characters is uh, a kid. And it's played by, I don't know how to say their last name. It's played by Gavin McHugh. Okay. I think that's how it's pronounced. Anyways, Gavin McHugh, incredible. I think he's like 11. Wonderful actor. So talented. So cute. Amazing. Love him. His sister's Sprite. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I saw that, I lost my mind because I love Gavin. He's so talented. He he's like a phenomenal actor. And I know like kid actors, you know, that's always like a tricky situation when you you have kid actors. But he's so talented and I like just appreciate him so much. So when I saw that this was being played by his sister, I got so excited. I I just I loved this character. I loved um, the actor playing her. I just this this character was one that really hit me. I I thought their interpretation of Sprite was so great, and I was oh so excited God. because I'm, I'm looking at a photo of her when she was in San Diego when they announced uh-huh. the Eternals, and she is so young in comparison. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy that she grew up during this movie. So wild because not to cut you off, but she definitely plays a character that uh, imbues a older person and a small person's body, you know, like definitely Mm -hmm. plays an older person. Um, But yeah. Yeah, she's it was I I have so many thoughts about this character, but yeah, she how old is she now? Uh, Let me I'm on her IMDb right now. Uh, She is hold on. They don't give you that information like right up front anymore, which is silly. Um, she just says was born, and that's it. That's nothing else. She was born. Oh, uh, two thousand five. Oh god, that. that's what, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's uh, that's sixteen uh, now. Sixteen. Cool. I can I can do math. Look yeah, at that. I think it's sixteen. Um, yeah. So like you know, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, she's like twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing yeah. a twelve-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, yeah. 12 ish. 12 ish. Thousands of year old. Yes. Thousands of 12 ish. But yeah, so talented. And um, that family, just incredibly talented. But that portrayal of such an old soul in such a young body and that conflict was just done so masterfully. Yeah. And seeing, you know, a character that's been around for thousands of years and has more experiences than anybody would know in a lifetime. But being stuck at this eternal young age that she never gets to experience the world as an adult and the way they Mm -hmm. play with that and the way they play with relationships in regards to Sprite is just so interesting. The closest allegory to that I could think of for the character like this is uh, Christian Dunst in American Vampire, where she plays a kid turned into a vampire and does not age um, until, you know, very much later in that movie. Um, 
and yeah, her 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 conflict that she's had in that film very much mirrors what goes on in this one. And you see that in uh, the one thing I will say that I wish was maybe a little bit more developed, or maybe if I watch it again, maybe I'll see it more, is her connection to Icarus. Because I felt the later half turn was so fast that I did not see it coming. Like, oh my God, that she's just all of a sudden with Icarus. So I'm, I'm I gonna will say that was that was one of the things that I picked up so much for on the second. Okay, so yeah, I'm knowing gonna... that was coming, looking for those glances, yeah, those yeah, looks, yeah. those moments, um, I, that was something that completely went over my head the first time. Yeah, and the second time I was really looking for it. That's what I'm. I'm excited to see uh, again, and when I watch this film again. So that is something, and I want. I want wanted just a little bit more of. And hopefully, I will buy that choice. But yeah, I, I like you're you're saying like. To have this person who has, and it's not the very stereotypical you think about this character because this, of course, in myth is supposedly the the mischievous one, the one that casts like the deviousness in certain stories. Um, mm-hmm. she, they are yes, they're devious in certain ways, but they're they're more subdued than you know, like I'm just gonna be a tricker person, like you know, like uh, yeah. just really goofy. Definitely the archetype of the trickster, but. Yes. In a much more downplayed way in this. Definitely. Definitely a more downplayed way. Um, but making their story tragic in the sense of they are a someone trapped in a small body. And why were they made that way? And I love that they ask that question when they learned the secrets of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it's dark and mm-hmm. it, it tragic if you think about it for more than a few seconds and how this person has to live with their life. And um, yeah, no, I think that Sprite uh, is definitely a more uh, nuanced character that I'm glad is still with the team, even though she did some really fucked up. Um, she straight up stabs Cersei like deep Um, but they're like yeah still hang out I'm gonna take I think her I do love that her punishment is she has to go to school that to me is the funny part it's like you still gotta go to school so in character that was so good and you because you see like Kingo has so much like appreciation and so much familial love for Sprite and and to see that throughout how that changes throughout the the film and that that end where King goes like you never thought you needed that did you yeah. <laughs> it's just so good and yeah I just I love that character I I can't wait to see see what what goes on with that i love she got um, hit with the rock that was funny uh <laughs> kingo i think i think that i love that we have this like natural like we mentioned somebody you're like yeah let's move on to them yeah yeah, yeah let's kingo. let's talk about kingo and then we can get to the dream team because yes. we haven't talked about any of no, the dream, the dream team. team that's true <laughs> yes i i love i i think i mentioned this earlier i love that sprite wasn't the movie star i love that it was kingo i think that means for such a interesting uh, story between the two of them having yeah. that a little bit flipped and I, I'm just so in love with this actor like it was so it, it was the comedic release of the movie for a lot of it right especially with the valet and having yeah. those interactions but also seeing that reverence mm-hmm. for humanity in such a different way than any of the other characters and you know seeing humans as fallible but still having that appreciation i feel like cersei kind of reveres humans and doesn't see any of their faults um i don't know if you got that impression but that's the feeling i got no for sure no no absolutely but i do love that like the scene where and i i will say i know that some people had some reservations of the bollywood stuff i think it's done um tastefully in this film and doesn't go too crazy on any direction 
you get you get the small scene, you get the joke immediately that it's about Icarus. You see the funny uh, logo of uh, what is it, Shadow Warrior Three, which I think is funny. Yeah. Um, but the scene that two, but yeah, semantic, semantics. Either way, <laughs> uh, but I love the scene where he sees the crew outside of the doors, and he talks about I'm responsible for them. I like, can't live, let them down. I right. can't let them yeah, down. That was I love so that. So powerful. Yeah. Also, some, I yeah. love that music. Yes. That the music for the Bollywood scene, oh, so good. I, I can <laughs> talk about the we can talk about forever because the music is fantastic and the, done by the composer from Game of Thrones. Uh, I will so just say, good. um, I I could talk a whole episode about the music, but all I all all I say, I was blown away by the soundtrack, the different songs they used, the timing of them fit so well, and the score. The scores, like use of those themes and the reoccurring light motifs was done so well that usually when you're watching a movie, it is a testament to the quality of the score if you don't remember it. Mm-hmm. But and and that's just like a common thing. Like a good score is forgettable. You don't want it to stand out because if it stands out, it takes over the scene or it's bad. But so I always listen so carefully with, you know, what limited remaining hearing I have left. I'm so focused on the score and looking for those light motifs, those reoccurring themes mm-hmm. that I was absolutely blown away by the score in the best way possible. And I don't think many people are going to talk about it because I, I, it blends in so perfectly that, yeah. you know, people aren't going to remember it, which is good. You're not supposed to remember that score. You're supposed to remember the emotions it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the soundtrack, incredible the score beautiful i i have to stop myself now or i'll ramble for yeah, hours true. I, I want i want an oscar for sound design for sure um okay let's all right dream team time let's go for it um dream team. who you want to start with the dream team i i want to start with vakari so okay let's just do it let's go because oh my god <laughs> i oh my god i love lauren rudolph such a talented actor i I appreciate her work so much. She's such a great representation of the deaf community. And you don't often see that. There's, you know, a couple deaf folks who are very well known in broader hearing culture. And they're not necessarily always the deaf community's favorite people. And so it's really interesting to see this dichotomy of very famous deaf people to hearing people and very famous deaf people to deaf people. (laughs) And I, Lauren Rudolph definitely falls in the latter. Like she is so well known, so well revered. And to see her as such a talented actor coming into the MCU, being such a great representation of our community in this way is so incredibly powerful and i got emotional at at my first screening because it was it was the deaf community it it was all deaf people and there's two different families with little kids and i i love deaf kids they're my favorite um and one of them was when we were waiting in line ran up to me was so excited pointed at my ear and was like you're deaf and i was like yeah and then pointed at his ear and was like i'm deaf and and that kid has like so much joy and enthusiasm and knowing that that kid got to see 
himself represented on screen by a signing deaf character by a signing deaf actor was just broke my heart into pieces like i melted knowing that that kid was getting to see representation like never before and i know i'm just ranting about the actor but the character i think was such a great choice what a, a, a character change from what we see in the comics right it's some white dude right hearing white dude <laughs> being played by a deaf woman of color and that was just such an incredible choice she's she's fun she's mischievous i i i saw an interview where lauren was like if any of the other characters you wanted to interact with in the mcu and the first answer was loki because you have like that trickster god, that mischievous like Makari. I think that would be such an interesting uh, pairing. But like I, just this character does so much for me and for my community that like I, I don't have any more words. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I I did want to ask because as. Uh as well as their representation in the film for themselves. So I was going to ask you, what about the other characters when they're responding to them? Cause I know that that can be triggering for a lot of people or, or how they go. Like how, how would you say that this movie does when characters are speaking to them or when they're actually doing attempting sign language as well? Cause I noticed that King go and I think uh, Drig does at some point as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that after, after the first viewing, mm-hmm. there was a lot of discussion about how little signing was in this film. Sure. And there's two perspectives. There's one where these characters have been together for thousands of years. Of course, they're going to know how to communicate. And I get that they like played it off with like, she can feel the vibrations. But that's not how you can't understand speech based on vibrations. Mm-hmm. You, you get a lot more context. Like you can feel like movement and get understanding for the shape of sounds, but you're not getting full access with that. And um, it, I, I saw a lot of folks who were not happy with how much the other characters were, were signing. Mm-hmm. But if you also look at it from a, a, a perspective of so many deaf children are born to hearing parents, like 90%. And of that 90% of hearing parents, 80% of them don't learn sign language. So th- there is such a small percentage of of deaf kids who have hearing parents who have access to language. And so that's a big theme throughout the community. A lot of families don't sign. And looking at this as a family, I totally get that there's so many families that wouldn't learn sign language at all. And I don't know if that was the intent and that's where I'm hesitant because my first instinct is to say, no, they should have been signing every time she was present. Every time she was in a room, they all should have been signing. That's just how it should be. And that's what I would, I wish was the occurrence. And I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but if you look at the relationships and you look at the characters she's closest to, the characters she's closest to sign more. True. So um, Faso signed with yes. Makari and Druig did as well. Mm-hmm. And you see little glimpses of the other characters, just like one, one or two. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Like Kingo, I think, yeah, does like one or two. Yeah. Uh, and Kingo as well, right. Um, mm. 
but it's really interesting to see. I don't know if it was purposeful that the characters closer signed a little bit more. Um, so I'm hesitant to applaud that, right? Sure. If I, I don't know if that was the dynamic they were going for, but it resonated with me as, as a late deaf person with a family who doesn't sign. I, I understood that so many people don't have families who sign. And so that's kind of the, the dichotomy there. Understandable. And I mean, if I had to assume it was because a lot of the situations that they're in, there's a lot of things where, uh, you know, they're in danger. And so they're like being told to leave. So I mean, there's stuff like that. But I definitely agree with everything you're saying there. I agree for sure. But as the character, fucking awesome, because this is the coolest right. Flash fight I've ever fucking seen, because holy shit, she beats the fuck out of Icarus, and I've been wanting to say that all weekend, and it was awesome, <laughs> and I can't tell anybody that, because oh it's a fucking spoiler. <laughs> when I was in a fight on the internet about Flash, I'm like, I want to fucking tell, I want to show you the clip, because I found the clip on Twitter, on, on TikTok, and I saved it, because she whoops ass. Um, oh. But yeah, no, 100%. I mean, as a character, um, you know, having be there so, and, and this is indicative to what I love about Flash comics and stuff like that is they, you know, get to a certain point where they, you know, are reading, fast reading books, they're traveling the world, they're seeing everything. I they, love that when you you first see the domo and she's just, just like, through yeah, yeah, 100% <laughs> like something I love from a comic book that is realized here. And for them to be that character, that archetype that I, that I really enjoyed, I think it's really fun with people that can read speech because yeah, that you would spend all your time going through and reading all the books and all that, because you can, you have the possibility to do so. And I found that fun with the character. And uh, I mean, the, my issue with the character is only because they're not on the movie so much. They're very lightly used. And, but when they're used, they are impactful. And that's why I think I have so much reverence for Makari, uh, because of how she's, actively depicted in the movie um for sure especially in the latter half of the film so yeah there's there's definitely instances where i can't wait cannot wait for more of uh the dream team going and doing things with star fox in space like i just want to see whatever they do next yeah i do i want to i want to give one big applaud to marvel because um it's so often when you see deaf actors in hearing projects uh, they're not given the support and the access that we deserve, right? And one of the really awesome things that Marvel did is instead of having Lauren Ridoff, you know, the actor, also working as the DSL or the director of ASL or the ASL consultant, they did, they hired somebody else for that position wow. who happens to be Douglas Ridloff, which is her <laughs> husband, but he's, he's a phenomenal director of ASL. He's yeah. awesome. He's really experienced in that. And he worked on Eternals and also the upcoming Hawkeye. He oh, okay, great. On that as well. Um, and so having a person that's not, the deaf actor in that position is so vital and you see the richness of dialogue you get to see that you know when the other characters do sign it's not because lauren taught them it's because somebody else taught them yeah and, and that's so important to have a director of asl in these projects who you know can help he's also deaf but also working with the deaf actor to develop the sign names like all the characters have sign names um, and to develop that, you really need an outside person. So I want to applaud Marvel for actually going out of their way to do that because it's so rare to see, especially in hearing projects. 
Fantastic. Let's uh, let's talk about the second half of Makari, and that, of course, is Druig. What's going on there? What's going on? Druig. <laughs> I love this character so much. I, we talked about it earlier. Like, you know, he's so often the, the traitor in the storylines. Yeah. And I love that they did not go this direction with him. And he, he, honestly, I was not expecting to love Druig as much as I did. Me either. Just so... So effortlessly funny of a character and, you know, has these deep emotional moments like the interaction between Druig and Adrak where where Druig's like, you're going to have to kill me to stop me. And that's deep. so yeah. powerful and shows so much about about his care and reverence for humanity and wants to help them be the best they can the only way he can right yeah all these characters are are trying to do their best with what they have and i add that plus you know the banter you where you get the the interaction in again i think it's babylon between makari and drug where he's like you're not supposed to steal and and she's like i won't tell if you won't and that like those little flirty moments are just so cute and just him and camille Camille are also really great camille like uh he forgot what he says like drew leaves and then he says something they're just like he's still an asshole or so he just says something like he's still <laughs> yeah. a jerk um and then of course the best yeah. one is at the end um is it the end because it has to there has uh, i think it's on the ship i think it's on the demo but makari and him are having somewhat of a moment and then uh-huh. K- kingo sees it and he's like is this happening is this the thing i don't how like it this going on yeah, right, right? i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> i love that that was another one of my favorite kingo moments like just so good yeah for so sure good. no uh Drig, uh is a underrated character only because you are led to believe you were absolutely led to believe that he is the bad oh, guy yeah. but 100 wins you over in the end and uh you just want good things for all of them and uh, i think he was a good one and another th- person you want good things for of course is fastos Fastos is another character that we all want good things for. I, I'm gonna go on a rant. There you go. For that, okay. So we're coming into this movie, Eternals, right? It's doing legendary things, things you've never seen before. The amount of diversity in this cast. Wow, look at that. You're getting so many different interactions we've never seen before. Oh, look, we have a sex scene in a Marvel movie. And people are like, okay, that's happening. That's new. You know what people got mad about? They got mad about the tender kiss just because it's between two people. Fuck (laughs) y'all. If you want to bitch about something, bitch about the sex scene. Do not bitch about the beautiful tender moment between two married people. Mm, that that just grinded my gears so much. I love this character. I love this the story of this character. I love this family that teaches him to believe in humanity again and such a beautiful such a beautiful family and so representative of of real true interaction right Mm -hmm. you get to see this beautiful and you know cross-cultural relationship between two men two men of color you know that's so rare to see with a kid and they're trying to you know uh uh, 
you know, they have a brown kid and how that interacts with society, especially in America, where where they're they're hanging out. And just the story of that family is so beautiful and so powerful and so impactful in this film. And it pisses me off that the only takeaway people are getting from this is, oh, no, two men kissed. Right. Hate to break it to you. It happens all the time. All the time. All around the world. People constantly. Kiss all the time. People kiss all right, the time. Right now. Someone just kissed. Right now. Someone <laughs> just did that. Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I know anybody who's who's watching this, anybody in our audience, isn't one of the people complaining about it. So I know I'm I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> I just had to get that off my chest. No, I, yeah, I agree with you. Just, the relationship was so beautiful to me. Not just because it's the first, you know, real queer relationship we see in the MCU movies. Like, of course, you see there's 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 queer characters in the broader Marvel stuff, right? You yeah. have the, the kids in Runaways. You have, uh, oh gosh, the, the two dads from Jessica Jones. Yes. And... And so, like, we've seen queer characters in Marvel-affiliated stuff. But this is the first time it's been canonized in film. It's in your face. It's Deal in your it. face. And it's so subtle. Like, it's just a beautiful story about a family. And the family itself is so beautiful in this person who sees the worst in humanity who saw the death and destruction that innovation caused and has given up hope meets somebody who who changes that who makes him believe in humanity that you can love people and that 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 humans are beautiful and wonderful and deserving of existence yeah. and reteaches that to this character and that storyline it's just so important and so powerful that you see um, and you see that in in the comments of like, I wouldn't change who I am. And that was such a strong sentiment for as being a queer person coming from a queer character that is also an android, I guess. Yeah. Who's who, you know is also talking about it from that perspective of like, I wouldn't change who I am, but I also wouldn't change this, this relationship I have. And that dichotomy I thought was really interesting and really powerful because queer people are going to hear that line and go, that resonates with me. But it also is so indicative of a character on such a deeper level as well, relating to the story. And I thought the way they played with those lines was really interesting because it really enriched the character in such a deeper way. I agree. I agree with everything you say. I feel like I've just been rambling. Hey, no, not at all. I think you have a lot to say about the film, and I think that's that's why this will be probably the longest episode that we do on the show. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I agree with your saying, and I want to give props to uh, Marvel um, and Disney, I guess, at, the, at a certain point. I don't really want to give Disney a lot of love, but Disney gets technically a part of it. I don't want to give them. I know. Uh, for A, uh, not allowing the scene to be cut overseas. Therefore, it will not be shown overseas. So, uh, fuck you. Um, so that's a big one. Um, the other that's thing is... The one thing they did right. That, well, that... <laughs> they stuck the, to it. They stuck to it, which I'm very happy about that, uh, unlike uh, other things that they've done uh, in cutting out scenes. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I do want to say, though, this is the primarily the only time that I've seen a, a Marvel film that is 
gives you three options to watch the uh, gives gave you a second option to watch the film, which was in uh, closed captions. Um, I've never seen uh, other films that offer this open captions. Open, yeah, of right like like because I is it on the by when you watched it was it on the screen or was it a device? So I, I had two experiences. The okay. first time I watched with open captions, which means it's on the screen. It's hard coded it. in. And everybody sees it. Okay. The second time um, I watched, uh, I the went to holder. a theater that I haven't gone to in a while, and they didn't have the cup holder one, which Ugh. is what I'm used to. Yeah. So it's a little box, and it depl- displays the captions. They had the glasses, which I had never used before. Interesting. And so they're glasses, and they have a little, um, a, like, uh, laser that like uh shows the captions on the glasses which took me so long to get used to sure sure i by the end of it and once i kind of figured out how to work with them mm-hmm. i really enjoyed them they are a terrible option especially for like deaf blind p- folks people who wear glasses i had to take my hearing aid off because it was getting caught up with yeah. the, the going over my ears but i really appreciated that um if i moved my head i wasn't losing the captions okay. because with the box you have to set it up at such a specific angle, angle or you mm-hmm. can't see them at all so you have to have it very specific so that you can see it and if i like moved my head or lifted my head up or whatever i couldn't see the captions at all so having them always on the glasses really great except for i noticed while i was watching this that i often have my head tilted to the side i do that too and so the captions were were crooked (laughs) and so i finally ended up um instead of having them sit at the bottom of my vision i actually put them at the top Hmm. um so you can like adjust the, the display for where they are um and so i had them pointed at the top of my glasses but yes so one of one of the things that often is talked about is the deaf community is when there's there's movies with deaf actors they can't just go to a screening of their movie and have access and recently earlier this year coda which is an Apple Plus movie, did yeah. a limited run in theaters. And every single showing of that film had open captions, regardless. There was not a single showing of that film without open captions. Gotcha. And that was a landmark opportunity. And then coming up, this, I'm pretty sure it was just AMC, but AMC had way more options for open caption showing. Yeah, and that's what I went to. It wasn't to when all I saw of them. But it was way more than you typically see. And so you're starting to see more and more um, showings with open captions. They're usually at like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah, I Like usually there will be a single showing with open captions. And that's it. And they're impossibly hard to attend. They're at poor times. They're either like Sunday mornings or like middle of the week mornings. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a pain because I can't just go to a movie. Also, when I went, when I went the second time with no open captions, I took them so long to figure out what a captioning device was. Yeah. That I was just getting so frustrated. Like movie theaters don't have trainings about this and it's so frustrating. So seeing, that's why I brought it up because I used to work in the movie theater and at that theater specifically. And I remember having to do that and give those to, to the customers as well. But they're, they're absolutely right. There wasn't training on it. And like majority of the time, we don't even know how they work. We just know that they Mm -hmm. have a signal that connects to the box that's up top and we hand it to the customer. Like hopefully they're charged. So many times, 
Yeah, there's so many times that they're not charged or that uh, the person who set it up set it up wrong and yes. I have to redo it. Or they'll forget to turn on the signal from the actual movie. And, and, so, totally I'm, movie? It, and so it's not getting... Yeah, I'm watching uh, the captions of the next movie over. It's spoilers. I haven't movies. turned off. Awful. <laughs> yeah, I remember... I, I can't remember what what film it was, but I went to see a movie and and they just didn't they didn't turn the flip the switch so it wasn't being transmitted got it which means we're like either they'll die halfway through or they won't work but you don't know until the movie starts because none of the previews have captions yeah and so then you're getting up in the middle and it's just so frustrating experience so yes big shout out to amc for doing more open caption um i wish more of the different theater showings did it um but it's it's progress. So yeah. uh, thank you for bringing up. Progress I, has, I is, is being made. <laughs> <laughs> progress has been made. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no. And in progress, obviously, is with with uh, Fastos as a character that allows us to proceed because he can develop obviously these amazing things, and ultimately becomes the biggest component of how we you know deal with the ending of the movie um he's key i mean without him they wouldn't be able to do it as far as i'm concerned um yeah so definitely love that he was such a landmark character for both the purpose of the film but also as a character so that's pretty much where i have it the only things we haven't covered are harrington (laughs) the deviants and harry styles (laughs) Uh okay, I'll go really quick on the deviants. They suck. <laughs> They're the least interesting thing fine. in the movie. I will say, um, oh god, what's his name? Starts with an A. Pro- oh, big dude. A. a. Ooh. Uh, yeah, the 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 dude in the sky, the the celestial. Oh, Ash Asham. Yeah. Ashim. So, Ashim. Yeah. I don't know how to say it. Ashim. But. That that character, I I kind of feel like was the villain all along. Uh, sure. The deviants were fine. It was interesting that they were they were developing again. Like uh, they had they a, fine. They were they, a necessary attack antagonist. They had an idea there. that was interesting, which was the fact that once they killed an Eternal, they were beginning sentience. Which to me, I felt was actually going to lead in how uh, how Thanos came to be. Because it, because mm-hmm. in the comics, if I'm not mistaken, he has like a deviant gene, and that's why he turns purple. Um, so I thought that was like, oh, this is like a way to explain that, and they don't, they really don't do anything with it. To me, it's sort of like a waste to have Bill Skarsgård in your movie at all. Um, but thank God it's a CG character, and you can put him in anywhere else. So uh, please put Bill Skarsgård anywhere else. Um, he was not well used in this film, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because mm-hmm. he just seemed like once we get to the end of like what we got to do, which is has nothing to do with the deviants at all. It's really just uh, you know, I don't even remember how the titty. I said Tidious. I don't know his name. Uh, the name of um, the the celestial that's in the planet. I don't remember his Tidbutt English name, or something. But like I remember that. his sign. Okay, Tiamat. <laughs> Tiamat. 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 Um, which yeah. I think was told during a flashback or something like that. So, you know, that's the only thing that was like prevalent of the movie. So the deviants just took us total side thing. And I just yeah. didn't care at that certain point. Um, uh, fucking Harry, Kit Harrington. He's not in this movie a lot, but when he's in it, when he is, it's great. He's great. <laughs> I love that. There's a great moment of it's, it's Jon Snow and Rob Stark in between Cersei. He goes, 
you're the pilot yeah you're the pilot and you get this is funny because um the last time thirsty and yeah brothers the last time they saw each other was in season one of game of thrones they've never seen each other since and one of the things he says to him is uh uh you look good in black or something like that it's like i guess black is my color and he's of course going to be a character called the black knight which i thought was cool um so very very cool there his post credit scene of course yeah i think i already described it very excited to see where he ends up I'm very curious of like if he's going to get a full costume or what that's going to do. Um, but please, yeah, if he's teaming up with Blade, I'm excited for the Blade movie. That's all I can say. Because it doesn't sound like it's going to be. And again, the start of the show is our very first episode, which we didn't even talk about. Thank you so much for everybody who watched it. Uh, it was a nice response. Uh, was Blade, and that is a very much a grounded story of like. S- neon city vampires and shit like that this hopefully will have some more medieval stuff which would be kind of cool just a totally different place for blade to be in so i'm totally cool with that um and then of course uh (laughs) the the show stealer (laughs) of the hour of course i Uh, have one more rant i promise you it's my last eternals rant my friend liz who is incredible awesome person who is a big Swifty, a big Harry Styles fan, and a big Marvel fan who makes content around all of these things, back in like May, made a video about how she thought that Harry Styles was going to be in this movie and got obliterated, torn to shreds by toxic fanboys who were just being absolutely awful about this. And because she was like lining up like, dates with where he was with like music and touring and whatever and the filming and she put this together and people were absolute shit to her about about it and then when we got the leak i was you know very skeptical because anything that leaks i'm like "Mm, we'll see right when we got that leak there was a lot of female creators who were talking about how We said something about this months ago, and nobody believed it until a man said it. And that is so indicative of, like, the culture of MCU fans and how there are such a strong, great, amazing, open-minded group of fans that are the vocal minority. And then you have the loud, toxic fanboys who want to tear everybody to shreds and gatekeep and don't want this singer in your Marvel movie. Fuck you. All right. (laughs) That's my rant. Treat people better. Be nicer to creators. If you disagree, you can do it respectfully. You don't have to be an asshole. That's my rant for this movie. I agree with this rant. Uh, Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Styles is in this movie and he looks like the character that I, I researched before, after watching the movie, which I was like, who is this character? Mm -hmm. I knew nothing of Thanos's brother and just looking at and finding out what his powers are. And I'm like, I can see that guy being that guy. <laughs> like I've seen him on right. many TikTok uh, clips because I, I, you know, I've heard, I listen to his music. I'm not the like most breakout fan of him, but to be able to see a character to come to life in the way that he does, I think, oh, he looks exactly what I would think, and he has that swagger when he first appears. He's introduced by with another character uh, played by Pee Wee. Which did you know who the voice was? I, loved, I did not, but it was. 
I love that character. That was one of my favorite moments. This is drum <laughs> stumbling and drunk, being like, "I'm not doing that drunk again." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's that voice? So he's been in the MCU already as multiple characters. You might rec- that. you might recognize him as as the uh, Shield officer. Uh, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who had multiple brothers and was k- killed off in one of the seasons, and <laughs> it is Patton Oswalt. <laughs> oh my gosh! He's also Modoc in the Hulu show, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's Pee Wee, yeah, he plays the voice of Pee Wee, which I was like, who's, I recognize that voice, who's that voice? And then, yeah, I immediately clicked in my mind. That I, was- I knew Modoc was uh, um, the same as the S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't realize... Oh my gosh, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. So, <laughs> again, you can be in the MCU already and be a total other character, which is totally awesome. Um, which still means Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have is canon. Have seen that once with um, the principal who was... Yes, who the was the grand, other... Great-grandson of the Howling Commandos, Yes, right? which was Harita? also... Yeah, Harita, which was also awesome. That was a great callback that I'm happy that they were able to uh, bring that back. So, absolutely. I really enjoy seeing them do that in completely different ways. So you have, like, an actor play a same character that's related. And then you have completely different species. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, like, voice. I, I love that they're not shying away from reusing actors while still getting a lot of new talent. Yes. And, and older talent. One thing we didn't talk about is uh, the age range mm. in this film mm-hmm. and how so often older women in Hollywood are just thrown into like a like old lady role, right? And we see so many we, multiple women like over 50 for the actors yes. who are playing strong badass characters and that's one thing also that is really important that marvel's not afraid to take these actors that would normally get shoved into much more side roles because they're not considered like young and pretty anymore or whatever when they're still they look great they're doing great they're fantastic actors i think Um, this movie this movie does suffer from that with ajax and that it's Salma Hayek playing that character but i think Mm -hmm. to counter that is with Athena's character being Angelina Jolie, which usually would be sort of the forefront of something. But she's a character that I think is well-rounded and doesn't have to be, like, the focus. She is a major part of the team, but isn't like, I'm in charge. She is part of the team as a whole, not like, I am the key person here. And I thought that was interesting. Right. For sure. For exactly. sure. Okay. So, I believe I believe we pretty much covered the gamut of this movie. Uh, I mean, the only thing I probably want to ask next is, where do you think this story is going to go with the remaining group that we have? I mean, Ashen, I can't say his name. Ashen uh, basically kidnaps a group of the Eternals, which is Kingo, Fastos, and um, Gemma Chan's uh, Cersei, and basically says that, hey, we're going to come back and judge this planet, but we're going to go ahead and review if this place is worth worthy. And then he just bolts away. Immediately when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, that's like galactus level worth of craziness that i'm seeing a giant like that's the first thing that popped in my mind i'm like is this going to be their way of introducing this sort of galactusness into this world and is galactus going to be a thing or is it going to be slash i'm like i'm curious like how that works i i never thought i would see that imagery (laughs) but it was depicted in this movie um but what do you think that what do you think that story is going to go and then as well as where do you think that the star fox crew is going to go 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you have like these three different groups, right? You have yeah. the folks on Earth. You have the folks who are going to be, you know, with um, what's his face? Star Fox. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> and then you have the group that is uh, with with the Celestials on wherever this fake Olympus is. Um, yeah. And I, I'm really interested. I want to see all all of these groups in completely different contexts. I want to see Eternals in other movies that aren't just about the Eternals, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think you're going to see a really interesting dynamic that you mentioned before. These characters are not impervious. They are very weak on their own. And they're strongest when they're together. And right now you have them split up into very different groups. That are, you know, fairly balanced within the groups between their powers. Yeah. But significantly weaker because they're all separated. And I'm really interested to see how that ties into already existing Marvel projects and how they're going to permeate through the rest of the MCU. And I, I don't see us getting another big Eternals movie for a while. Yeah. But I want to see these characters in completely different contexts. Yeah, and I'm wondering where are we going to see a lot of these characters uh, going forward? Because, you know, as much as I'm like, okay, it would make sense to be connected with Guardians of the Galaxy, but then, like, Guardians of the Galaxy has been written for a long time, and then for them to include this, like, I just don't see it. Maybe post-credits, but I just don't see them connected in that story, and that's the only other real space story that we got going on, other than, of course, um, Love and Thunder. But I also don't necessarily see them going there, maybe for a cameo, but like there That's has the to thing. We're looking and, at and TV like, shows, maybe too. I'm not project. even thinking about TV shows. For Secret sure. Agent, um, you know. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because like I'm looking at like the movies we have coming up. We have the Spider Man film. Mm-hmm. They're they're not gonna be no there. Way. Um uh the Doctor Strange Madness, whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, I couldn't really see it. But like Guardians, again, maybe. I, I that makes the most sense. It Love makes the Thunder, most sense, but I, like, yeah, I just don't know. Probably not. And so I'm like, I, I'm really curious. I don't know where they're gonna put these characters. Yeah. Um, in in like what we know that's upcoming. And so that's that's where I'm 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 really curious to see where these stories go because I'm not yeah. sure where we'll see them again. And like, where's Marvel's going to be like the Marvel's, which, which is, um, you know, Miss mm-hmm. Marvel, Captain Marvel. And, um, Oh my God, I forgot her name. Monica Rambeau, but I can't remember her character's name. Fasto, mm-hmm. uh, photon. Photon. Yeah. Photon. So mm-hmm. I'm like, is that a space story? Like, I don't know. And then again, like I just, I just kind of brought, it, I was like, well, are they going to be in the TV shows then? And like, there's, I guess, because I, I feel like I know what the slate is for Marvel coming out and what is left in this phase or whatever. So is this just more stories that we're not told yet that's going to happen? And I'm very curious about that. Like, is there another space yeah. tale or space story that's going to be brought up? Like, again, I'm very curious. I'm very curious where we're going to end up seeing these characters and how long it's going to take because I am now invested in this group of people that I did never thought I would be. And I would like to see right. some resolution soon. Um you know, like I was invested in the Guardians. It's been kind of a while since I've seen them. I'm very one curious what they're up to. Um, but yeah, I know I'm very curious of like th- this is what I love about this phase so far is I have no 
fucking idea what they're doing. Like, I, I, I think I know what they're doing in Spider-Man. I think I know what they're doing in, in Doctor Strange. But I have no idea what they're doing at the end of uh, Shang-Chi with all that stuff. I have no idea what they're doing with the, with the Eternal stuff. <coughs> I have no freaking clue. And then we still got Fantastic Four coming out. We got Blade still coming out. Like... There's still so much and quantum mania shows, all the TV shows, secret right? invasion, armor wars, like all this stuff that I have no idea yeah. that we is a whole new light of a future in iron heart as well. Like there's so much stuff that's here that I, okay. and, uh, well, you know, this will be out before then, uh, Disney plus is going to have something this weekend, uh, this upcoming weekend. So hopefully we'll see some trailers there. I would love a miss Marvel's trailer. Mm-hmm. I would love something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just so much still to look forward to. I have one question for you left. Yeah. All right. If you can make any project with any of these characters, what would you make? I I can go first because I I have an idea. Um, Because I was thinking about you brought up Shang-Chi and how so many people are wanting. um, What's what's the sister's name? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, The man. Um, but they want like a TV show with the Ten Rings, with her yeah. leading it. What's going on with that? Um, possible romance with Katie. I I want that. Uh, but I <laughs> I, I want to see the dream team. <laughs> I want to see you know Makari, uh, Druid, Zhaling. Yeah. I want to see a, a show with them. Um, also, throw Kingo in there. Kingo's fun. And I just want to see, like, their time on Earth, like, when they're all separated. I want a show about that. <laughs> oh, you, that. I want a young Thor show with Kingo, because apparently they hung out when yes! he was a kid. Yes! <laughs> I want Asgard with Kingo. I want that. Give me that. Yeah, me how that did that happen? Marvel. What's going on there? Yeah, for sure. That's what I want. There we go. We figured it out. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> wow. Uh, again, it has been a awesome uh, two, two almost a two episode worth. Usually our episodes are going to go about an hour. So Ooh. I hope you enjoyed all yeah. of the discussion that we've had here talking about uh, 21, 2001's Eternals because uh, it is a good movie. Leave it up to your interpretation if you, if you want to enjoy it or not. I mean, just go see it, all right? I think that this is a solid movie. Your miles may vary, but you can hear that we're definitely passionate about this. And uh, hopefully that carries on. So uh, any final thoughts or uh, anything else? Do you think we got it? I My, my final thought is I want to have conversations about this movie. If you made it this far, uh, you know a lot of my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts about this movie. I wh- One of the hardest things about seeing this movie early was not hearing people talk about it. So I want... Everybody who's listening, watching this, tell me all of your thoughts. I want to hear your perspective, what you think about what we thought. Just send me all of the thoughts, please. As a matter of fact, I actually have an email that people could send people thoughts, and I'll probably put the link down below here, but it's going to be mcuniversitypod at gmail.com. Please, if you want to write into the show, that is where you'll be able to uh, reach out to us, and then we can hear what you have to say, and then, hey, maybe we'll, we'll do a a send up of us reading the, the our, our mail. So definitely please, if you have any thoughts and of course leave a comment down below, we'll also read those and maybe re- reply there as well, because uh, the communication back and forth with our first blade fil- uh, episode was really awesome and positive. So I'm very happy to keep that going um, for certain. So 
definitely very... I'd love to start doing like a mailbag like they do mm-hmm. at the end of comics. I, w- I would love to do some episodes like that. So send us all your thoughts about anything we've put out so far, future things, whatever. Let yeah. us know. Yeah. And I have some other ideas that I'm going to talk to Sly about that I'm curious about if they're interested. So we'll see what goes from there. But uh, yeah, uh, Sly, where can people find you and uh, what's going on with you on Saturdays? <laughs> <laughs> on saturdays oh oh i have a show <laughs> thank you for setting me up with that you can find me pretty much everywhere on the internet at cyclone mc you can also find me hosting and producing a show called 15 and 15 it's an interview show where my guest has 15 minutes to answer 15 questions you can find that every week on point in progress on youtube uh saturdays at 10 a.m pacific time of course noon central or 2 p.m atlantic uh i guess 1 p.m eastern all the time zones figure out for yourself uh i have uh when this goes up i'll probably have my at least two episodes maybe my third my first episode of course is with the illustrious that mario rivera if you've ever heard of him who knows Um, and yes uh other than that you can find me on point in progress at cyclone mc uh those are all the things that's right and of course you can find me here at mc university uh on our at our youtube channel at point in progress as well as uh youtube.com slash that mario vera where i do videos over there as well uh my twitter is at night mute city and uh i am so happy we did this. Um, now the cat is ready to attack me. So we're going to go ahead and close this out. <laughs> and uh, that has been your extra credit for the week. Of course, uh, your homework is still X-Men, which is going to come out on Wednesday. So hopefully we'll see you over there. And uh, until next time, uh, class is dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>